the seriousness of the word of God, I like to begin with a little joke. I like the story of the young man who, eager to make it to the top, went to a well-known billionaire who's, and asked him the, the first reason for his success. The businessman answered without hesitation, hard work. After a lengthy pause, the young man asked, what is the second reason? Well, that went over well. <laughs> Today is Labor Day weekend. Part of it's Sunday before Labor Day. And uh, Labor Day, the unique American end of summer holiday that celebrates work by not working. Isn't that wonderful? Most of the world, a little bit of history, most of the world observes May 1st as Labor Day, uh, but not us because this is September date was chosen because it's halfway between the 4th of July and Thanksgiving. And also Americans were afraid of allying themselves with the socialist and communist movements that celebrate May 1st. It's one of, someone has once said it's a, it's a holiday that's not um, based on death or uh, wars or religion. Um, but that's not entirely true. What, the history of Labor Day is this. Um, in, in 1882, there was an American Labor Day parade in New York City with 20,000 participants carrying banners calling for eight hours of work. The 19th century of time was, was of course, a time of great industry, the growth of the industrial, the, the industrial revolution, the growth of, of um, so many um, businesses and jobs, railroads, everything was booming. And most of it was on the back of manual laborers. The notion of working for eight hours was a dream. Working for eight hours a day was a dream that they had because there were no limits to how often a, a person, how long and often a person could work. Samuel Gompers, there's a name for those of you who are history buffs, the founder and longtime president of the American Federation of Labor said of Labor Day, it differs in every essential from the other holidays of the year in any country and other holidays were based on the end of wars and things like this. And Gompers said, Labor Day is devoted to no man, living or dead, no sect, race, or religion. But it grew out of a historic event. I'm not gonna go into a long detail about this, just hit the highlights. But it came out of my hometown of Chicago. 
All of you have heard of the word Pullman. Back in the day, it was considered a great luxury to ride in a Pullman car because it had all the comforts and conveniences of home, including berths and beds, all sorts of things. And so it was, so the Pullman company was started by George Pullman and he made sleeping cars for the railroads. And he built a town near Chicago called Pullman, Illinois. And this was the quintessential company town. In order to provide a community for his workers that would be protected from the seductions of the big city, the town was organized around row houses. You need only to go to Hartford and you can see what's called the perfect six are, are buildings that are still exist today, which were built for the factory workers at the Coal Firearms Company by Samuel Cole. That was a, a kind of a, a paternalistic thing that the, the Skyans of industry did in the 19th century. But they didn't do it lightly because you had to pay rent for the for these rooms. And the rent went to the Pullman Company and George Pullman. It was the company store. They had they owned the grocery stores that you they would pay you for your work for your um, for your work, but most of it came back to them in the form of goods and services and homes and food. A depression or recession came along at that time in the history of our country. And the income uh, for the Pullman company began to be reduced. And so George Pullman had to reduce the hours and pay for his workers. As a result of that, they found themselves between a rock and a hard place because he didn't reduce their rent. So it was the beginning of the American labor movement. They unionized, they got themselves together and they decided to strike. And the summer of that, of, of 1883, the uh, federal government sent in troopers and police to quell the strike and people were killed on both sides. It was called the Haymarket Riot. It, that year, the next year happened to be an election year. Grover Cleveland was the president of the United States. And he said, we've got to do something. And he instituted Labor Day as a day off for the whole country. And by that helped hope to quell the, the rising growth of the labor movement. And the American Railway Union led by a, another a famous figure in American history, Eugene Debs, was one of the people behind the strike that took place at that time. Fast forward to today. Today, 15% of 
um, American workers belong to a union. Down from 50% in the post-war era of the 1950s. So let me ask you a question. From the biblical perspective, what would be a, an, appropriate, an appropriate perspective here in the church? Is work something to be celebrated from the point of view of the Bible? Well, the answer is somewhat ambivalent. From the Old Testament, if we turn to the, the book of Genesis, um, we read Genesis 2, chapter 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him, Adam, and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So it was part of God's plan and purpose that Adam, the first man, the prototype man, the, was, was to work. But then Eve came along, and you know, you all know the story, out of the rib of Adam came Eve, and then Eve, seduced by the serpent, goes to Adam, and convinces Adam to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and become like God, knowing good from evil. And of course, as the story goes on, they are discovered because they are ashamed. And um, the Lord God tells Adam that because of his unfaithfulness, his disobedience, that he, that, that children will be born out of the pain of childbirth and that they will till the soil um, and, and work for a living. So you have, on, on the one hand, work as a blessing for Adam, and on the other hand, work as a punishment to Adam and Eve for their disobedience. But then we have the story of the creation of the world and, on the, on, and how on the seventh day, God rested. And in the 10 commandments, the seventh day, the fourth commandment is thou shalt remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And that means it was part of God's plan and purpose to that the human race should have a day of rest. And I love how my Jewish brothers and sisters, they keep that. We visited Israel in 1984 and, and uh, on the Sabbath day, we, we stayed, <laughs> this, this was a very nice trip with Terry Fulham and Terry liked to stay in nice hotels because we did a lot of traveling during the days. So we stayed over in the Jerusalem Hilton, which is about a 215 story tall building. 
And they, of course, to get to your rooms, they have elevators. On the Sabbath, the elevators, which you push a button to go to your floor, you know, you know about elevators. They go on automatic. And there are two sets of elevators. There's one, there's, they all stop at the main floor. And then the rest of them, some of them are odd floors and some of them are even floors. And so you get on the elevator that goes to your floor, whether it's odd or even, and it automatically stops as you're going up because, because according to strict Jewish observance, pushing a button is working on the Sabbath day. I've heard some other funny stories about the, uh, the strictness of the Sabbath in that um, devout Jews aren't supposed to wear um, shoes with nails in them because that would be lift, that would be a burden to lift the weight of those nails in their shoes. And they're to not to walk across grass because as they walked across grass, it would bend and break, and that would be like threshing. Um, so th th these were these were traditions of of observance on the Sabbath day. Now, when we turn to our lesson today from the Old Testament, the story of the revealing God's revealing of Himself. To Moses on Mount Horeb. I, not, I could spend, we could spend the whole year unpacking this pericope that we read this morning. There's so much there. I'm going to concentrate simply on one, one thing. Where God reveals, where God reveals to Moses his name. And Moses Wants, needs, to, needs to know in order to do the job God has given him to do. He needs to know who is sending him. He needs to be able to tell the people, this is who is sending me to call you out of your work in Egypt, out of your slavery in Egypt, out of your toil and turmoil in Egypt as the Habiru, the underclass, the slaves of the Egyptian rulers. Who sent me? And God reveals in that very sacred moment. This is one of the this is one of the most sacred passages in the Old Testament for sure, and in the whole Bible. That God says, "I am Yahweh." Now, this I want to share with you because it, it, this opened my mind when I discovered this possibility. Yahweh could be translated a number of different ways. It's called the Tetragrammaton, and it consists of the four consonants, Y-H-W-H. -H. In, in the ancient Hebrew text, they did not put the vowels in. They just, it was kind of a shorthand. The scripture was written only with the consonants. And as it came to be traded, as it came to be translated later on, people put the, the, the scribes put the consonants in. Well, the word Yahweh is a form of the verb to be. 
And one way of translating that, and the way most people translate it and hear it, is that God says, I am who I am. Or he says, I am that I am. But there was a professor at Harvard, I think his name was Bernard Anderson back when I was a seminarian, who was an Old Testament professor. He had a theory that that's a mistranslation. His theory was that the verb to be here is not translated as, as the present perfect. I guess that is, I am that I am. But he, he thought it should be translated as a causative form of the verb to be. And that could be proven if we had the consonants, but we don't. So you have to just guess. So according to Dr. Anderson, the ver that tetragrammaton should be translated, I am he, or I am the one who causes things to be. Aha, isn't that who God reveals himself to be, the creator of heaven and earth? And don't we believe that history is the story of the work of God and people working together? Salvation history of the Old Testament is, is God's purpose for humankind, the purpose of salvation. Stay with me for a minute. In the New Testament, we hear Paul, we read Paul today, talking about the work of believers, the work of the Christian community. John Hare last week, Professor Hare, in his sermon, uh, talked about humans as agents as, God, as God's agents in history. God's work is our work, he said, not as individuals, but in community. We call that community in the Christian community, we call that the church. The Christian community is the church. And he said, we need each other to become the people of that God is calling us to be. Oh, you, you only need to read the passage that David read this morning um, of, of Paul uh, sharing with the Romans how that community should act and how that community should love and be in purpose with each other. Which leads us to the gospel reading for today. In the gospel reading from Matthew, Jesus shares with the disciples what the cost of our labor is going to be. Jesus has a purpose 
and his purpose is found on the cross. Jesus said, this, this passage we read today is, is actually the turning point in the Gospel of Matthew. As Jesus sets his face toward Jerusalem and toward his passion, his death, and the resurrection. And Jesus says, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. What Jesus is really saying is that the work that God has given us to do is work done for the sake of others. Jesus, the eternal word of God, Jesus, the everlasting son of the father, God from God, light from light, has become one of us to reconcile us to Yahweh, to reconcile us to the creator, the one who causes us to be, and the one in whom all things come to be what they are called to be. Jesus, who in every way, in every way, was like we are. Totally human. I love that. 15 years at the plane and the lathe. A woodworker, a carpenter. Jesus shows us what honest work is like in the in the workshop of, of his surrogate father, Joseph. Jesus shows us that it can be enjoyable. And then Jesus says, but this isn't my true work. The harvests, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray for the Lord to send workers into his harvest. And what Jesus is saying is, we all have work to do. We have our human work, and we pray that that's godly work. But we also have a heavenly call. And that is to be laborers in the harvest of souls. To bring people into a loving relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. That's called the work of salvation. That's the work of the church. That's the purpose of each of us. And when Jesus says, take up your cross daily, he's referring to the fact that, you know, when a, when a crucifixion was taken place, the, the person being crucified had to carry their own cross. In Jesus's case, he had been so beaten and, and, and was physically so weak that they compelled Simon of Cyrene to carry his cross for him. 
So what does this all mean, folks, on this Labor Day weekend? Well, it means honest labor is good. Choose well. Work as you can. We think, I've been thinking as I was writing the sermon of those who worked during the pandemic for the sake of others, those first responders, those the nurses, the doctors, the, 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 the people who were working incredibly long hours and not complaining. We had, remember we put out a little hearts and signs and saying thank you. We've forgotten about that. Each of us have to call on our life. We have a vocation, that's what it means, a calling on our life. And that vocation, and I would dare say ministry, which comes from the word, which means to serve, to be a servant, that vocation and ministry has to be laborers in the harvest. And we don't have a day off from that. But Jesus said in the same passage, he says, what would it profit you to gain the whole world? To make a lot of money, to be, to be fully successful in the eyes of the world. And at the same time, lose your own soul. So happy Labor Day. I hope you have some nice hamburgers or hot dogs or steak or lobster or whatever's on your, on your dock. And I hope you have time for family and friends. I hope you have time to give thanks to God who's given us all of these good gifts and more. And to turn to someone who has blessed you by their faith, their prayers, their example in your life, and thank them. You might even say words like, I see Christ in you. You are Christ to me. I, I realized this morning I could have chosen another song for communion, the great Af African song, Brother, let me be as Christ to you. Let me be your servant too. For Jesus Christ came not to be served, but to serve and to give his whole life as a ransom for our sins, that our souls might be restored to that Garden of Eden and be in the hands of God, our loving Father. Let's pray. Lord, you have taught us that we are members of one another. Hear our prayer for all who do the tedious, dirty, and dangerous work which is necessary to sustain our life and grant that all who depend upon that service 
may remember them with thanks. And be present with your people where they work. Make those who direct the industry of this land responsive to your will and keep them faithful in their trust. Give all people pride in what they do, a just return for their labor and joy in serving you through serving others through Jesus Christ, our Lord. For, O oh God, as your son Jesus Christ was obedient to his knowledge of your purposes for him, help us to understand and obey your purposes for us and to discover the work we are best fitted to do. And as he steadfastly rejected the temptation to use unworthy means, teach us also to accept the discipline necessary to master our work and to work for the ends that you desire in the honor of your name. And I want to close with a prayer um, that many of you know, a prayer that is attributed to St. Ignatius of St. Petersburg. Lord Jesus, teach us to be generous. Teach us to serve as you deserve, to give and not to count the cost, to fight and not to heed the wounds, to labor and not to seek for rest, to give of ourselves and not ask for a reward, accept the reward of knowing that we are doing your will. We pray for this through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Oh,